that that John from Sugarneck is a is a good interview. Yeah, he's one of the he's one of those guys that you could pick any number of things for it to be the the actual subject of your podcast. Hey, quit whining. My dog's whining. Just wondering if Stop whining. the rant is a band. What do I play? Tambourine? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, you're probably the best rapper. Yeah, maybe I'm the the rap, Christian rapper. <laughs> you're like the guy from. Uh, <laughs> you're like the guy from uh, the mighty mighty boss tones who just kind of dances. On yes, the you're the hype man. <laughs> Yeah, with the hat. I'm going to wear a top hat and a suit. What does Billy play? Mm, I, yeah. I, no, yeah, I'm keyboard. I, I don't know. Key, yeah, there you go. He keyboard. plays guitar. Yeah, one of those guitar keyboard things. Head, uh, now, head. Rhythm guitar. How about that? Because I don't, you only have to know a few chords and know how to keep up. So, <laughs> so that's like my. That's you just described my level of ability. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, you're doing great until the solo, and it's like bing, 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 bing. <laughs> this man sucks. <laughs> we uh, we were talking a little bit about our aborted karaoke party from a year uh, more than a year ago now. Had you guys um, had you guys settled on the song you were going to sing? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I so I had a song that I was yeah. kind of. What is? I was I I had a bunch of ideas, but I think that I had settled on. I think I'm in love by Eddie Money. Okay, I think. I, uh, I wanted I wanted a an obscure happy song, and. Uh, and this is very obscure, but very chippy. And it's uh, "And She Was" by the Talking Heads. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I could do like some bro. Because at the end of it, you go, "Hey, hey, 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 hey," and just kind of you know have fun, bounce around, and be drunk. So that's uh, that's actually what I was leaning toward. What, what what were you saying, John? I could I'd probably do like some bro country song from the, like a new new song. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, to be uh, ironic, and then we would have we would have we would have had to have done a group performance of something also. What a man! Let's do what a man. <laughs> here, <laughs> or I here I go, here I go again. What's my weakness, man? We should do a Destiny's Child song and have John just sit there and and uh, be in shame. <laughs> yeah, guest star Beyonce. <laughs> Oh I mean, yeah, <laughs> we like, could probably at least get the third Destiny's yeah. Child girl. Yeah, <laughs> he, he probably knows Beyonce, or as John used to say, Beyonce. Well, I you was, saw. Well, um, if we're starting the uh, podcast with this, our guest today is John Colley. He's the co um, co owner of Sugarneck out on uh, Buckhorn Road in Sanford, and um, they were featured heavily in our wedding edition. But uh, as you'll learn in the interview. Um, 
you know, John's career uh, spans much more than that. And, and uh, he was involved in the music industry in Houston um, and his company um, um, was part of the management team that managed uh, Destiny's Child and Beyonce Knowles, which brings us to, you know, what we're talking about now. And, uh, and yes, I know people who are listening to this couldn't see it, but did you notice what was behind him yeah, on yeah. the Zoom call? Yeah, it was a, uh, it was like a, a Beyonce, um, I don't know, gold record, platinum record, something like that. Uh, yeah, there was a, it was a Beyonce picture with uh, some CDs under it. So I imagine it was some kind of sales award or something like that. Do you think he knows her? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah. So, so um, we invited you on our podcast to talk about Sugar Neck, but can, can you get a message to Bams for me? <laughs> so, I was the only question I could think to ask was, Do you know Beyonce? And I didn't <laughs> want to ask. <laughs> well, he said he did say he worked with her dad. So, at some point, you know, she had to come by and, and say, Hey, sign, sign some papers. <laughs> yeah. More importantly, how well do you know Jay Z? I, me, I don't. If you go, <laughs> if you go even. Our May edition of the Rant Monthly featured um, the, uh, the the booming wedding industry in, in San Lee County, and um, one of the people featured. And one of the venues featured was Sugar Neck, which is out in off Buckhorn Road in the Broadway area. And John Colley is one of the owners. So we've uh, we've asked him to come on and talk about the wedding industry and, and all the things that he and others are doing locally. Uh, John, welcome. Welcome to the Friends of the Rant podcast. Do you consider yourself a friend of the rant? I do consider <laughs> myself a friend of the rant. And thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you talk a little bit about Sugar Neck and how you and your wife, you know, started this thing up and and what it turned into? Well, it's it's an it's an interesting business because it was first started by Judy Womack, which is my wife's mother, my mother-in-law. And Judy had been requested from a friend if they could have a wedding down there, and we happened to be living in Houston at the time. I was in the music industry for a long time, and we heard that she was doing a wedding. And so we said, that sounds great. And on our arrival back into Sanford area and Raleigh area, uh, we took a look at this and said, you know, from that first wedding, another couple came forward and said they wanted to have a wedding there. And so really one led to another and the rest is sort of history. We just really dove in uh, both feet to create a venue down there. And it's, it's really impressive. In fact, all the venues that we visited are, are really impressive, but, but yours is absolutely among those. Um, talk about, you know, what you guys offer and, and what makes Sugar Neck a unique place. Yeah, I think the, the interesting part about Sugar Neck is the history. You know, we have a 1874 cabin, era cabin that we had renovated. We obviously added on uh, several new buildings. We added on a pavilion, commercial bathrooms, but the property itself has a, the old 
post office of what was the town of Sugar Neck. And it was around the 1890s. So our whole goal was to incorporate, you know, sort of merge yesteryear with modern conveniences. And I think one of the big, you know, benefits that people feel or the feedback we get is that they just feel really relaxed and comfortable down there. Yeah, and that's sort of our whole goal. You, when you when we when you were showing us around, um, you showed us the old post office, and you were talking about the road that came through there. Uh, I'm sure you've done your research on on the what was the town of Sugar Neck. Any any idea where it got its name, or or you know what it was um, mostly known for? I guess back then, and and why it never really materialized beyond you know, a, a post office and a dirt road or uh, what, what have you learned about it? Well, you know, what we hear and whether it's folklore or what part of what we actually know uh, the history of is that, you know, people would come down the Cape Fear River and the Sugar Neck name came from the sugar and the neck of the river there where moonshine was made on the property going back a hundred plus years. So the sugar neck part of it came from the geography meeting the moonshine. That's awesome. I, yeah, that when, when you told us that when we were out there, that just blew my mind. And that, that sort of thing Billy mentioned when we were out there, like Gordon, you love these stories, but I really do. And it's just fascinating to imagine the sort of life cycle that these little towns that sprung up and disappeared had. And, it's cool that you're able to preserve some of that, um, you know, as, as you, as you conduct your business. Yeah. I think that that's, that's where we started with building of the brand. We, we, we wanted to retain as much of the old as we could, but of course, as you know, time goes on and generations go on, you have to, you know, implement some of the modern conveniences, as I mentioned, and, but we'll never give up that, that yesteryear feel. And so when people drive down the road, they're not really sure what they're expecting. And then they come to this, you know, sort of vast opening and they see the old buildings, they see the fire pit and our, well, we're, we're now renaming it the Moonshine Bar, which is the little area you saw where we have nice. uh, people there um, gathering. And so, you know, we really have been can become known as the, the place where on a day that's supposed to be really stressful, that you see their stress melt away as soon as they enter the property. Right. And that's part of us handling a lot of the details for them. But we also, we sort of like take them through the process saying, you know, this is your day. Everybody tells you it's stressful. However, you should enjoy it as much as everyone else that's there. Yeah. You were telling us that, uh, that your first wedding, um, I don't know if it was a wedding or if it was like an engagement party, but it was all kind of, this wasn't your your first intention with this place. You, you kind of you, you got it started, and then you had friends that say, "Hey, uh, we'd love to use this." I guess what you say it was an engagement party or something like that. It was an actual wedding. Yes. Okay. All right. And then, what was it about that first event that made you think, "Hey, you know what? <laughs> that was pretty fun, and uh, this isn't such a bad idea for, uh, for this place going forward." Well, the the first wedding was the daughter of Joan Phillips, as you know, Taylor Phillips' mom, who's a very close friend of ours um, and has been a friend of Judy's for decades. And, you know, Joan was in is in the wedding business. You know, she's a she's a really incredible planner with Wanda, her partner. 
And I think that really for us, it was the after effect as well. I mean, it was an amazing wedding. Everybody had a great time, but getting the follow-up feedback and requests for additional weddings, that's what really told us that there was something here. I was going to say, you mentioned Taylor and, uh, um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your, uh, we'll get back to Surganek, but um, <laughs> your, your experience in the music industry. And I know, see, I was living in Houston um, in the early 2000s, and that's when uh, Destiny's Child and, and Beyonce was coming up. And, and amongst your, um, you know, on, on your, uh, your resume, your very, very impressive resume uh, has you, um, I think you were uh, chief, either CEO or COO of a, of an organization that managed Beyonce and Destiny's Child. And so, um, you know, we could talk, we could spend a whole podcast on that, I guess, but how do you, <laughs> <laughs> what was that, what was that experience? And, and how, how did you end up in, in North Carolina? Well, um, the first part is, you know, I, I was the chief operating officer for Music World Entertainment. And that's a, that was a series of 33 companies owned by Matthew Knowles and the Knowles family. And so I originally started in the music industry at Sanctuary Records here in Raleigh. Okay. Um, by way of that, we had begun acquiring management companies around the world. Elton John's management company, Matthew Knowles, Music World Entertainment's management company. And it was through, and like any business, it's relationships. And I, you know, I, I guess I must have done a, a fair enough job to, to build a strong relationship with Matthew so that he had offered me a position to come down to Houston um, where we had a city block and it was, it had the studios where Destiny's Child, you know, be, started their early performances and uh, recording studios. We had dance studios. We had a literally what was like a house of blues on property where we would create live performances and events of all types. Uh, we would do uh, MTV Sweet 16 filmings. We had a reality show filming there. So it was really a city block of diverse music infused like experiences. And so building a brand and a venue and all that is, is really kind of second nature to me. Right. And one of the things that you talked about was that, you know, our story was about the wedding industry and a lot of what you do is weddings, but it's not entirely accurate to, to, to say Sugarneck is a wedding venue. Sugarneck is probably an event venue. Is, is that the way you're thinking of it? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think because we do such a, a wide range of events, like first weekend of June on a Saturday, we've got a celebration of life for a uh, uh, a girl whose mother passed in December and they're having a hundred guests come to honor their mother. Mm -hmm. uh, we have that next day, a 50th birthday celebration. We have weddings, we have corporate events. We've got uh, a, a, a new relationship, which we'll, we'll be announcing here shortly with a, a national charity. Um, so, you know, I think that's exactly right. We're just, we look at ourselves as a performance venue that can host lots of different stuff. But uh, there are, you know, a good number of weddings you do. I can't, every venue that we visited gave us a number and I can't remember the, yours specifically, but they were all in the 30 to 50 a year range. And that's correct. did you want to talk a little bit just about, you know, your relationships with these other venues, the other businesses that support weddings and, and what this all means for, for Sanford in the bigger picture? Yeah, I think, 
You know, we had mentioned it during our discussion when you guys came out that we don't view, and I don't believe a lot of venues in Sanford view this as a competitive environment. Uh, our theory is, is that when you step on, and there's beautiful venues all around us. And, and so we often share ideas. We share, um, somebody will ask us a question. And particularly during COVID, you know, and I come from a, a deep operational legal background, I was fielding a lot of different questions about, you know, legal contracts and, 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 and how do you approach certain tough situations in rescheduling events and requests for refunds and those kinds of things. So I think we have a community in Sanford within the, the wedding venues that allow us to work together. And I think most importantly, you know, every place isn't for every bride. You have that feeling. You step onto the A property, whether ours or someone else's, and you know. It's kind of like when you're looking for a home or an apartment. I think you know exactly when it feels right. And so if someone doesn't book at our location, uh, you know, they'll find a great location for them. And I think it's vice versa. I I just have to say when, <laughs> when we were out there and and you casually mentioned I was in the music industry inside. I went, don't, don't ask him. Don't, don't geek out here. Don't geek out here. <laughs> and then later on in the discussion, you, you were talking, you were talking about how you um, would set up uh, speakers strategically so that the, the sound was correct. And I was like, okay, I have to ask, what did you do? And, <laughs> and you mentioned it. And I was like, <gasps> cause it's just, it's one of these things like we were out there to write about your venue and you know, it, it, might feel a little bit to somebody like me and I'm very deeply into music like it's almost burying the lead to not talk about you know you were the you were the CEO of this major company what what made you get out of the music business well you know I think it was it, another opportunity came up for me and I had come back to North Carolina it was it was a converging kind of series of decisions one was coming back here to be with family I mean, Alicia and Judy and, and her whole family is from here. Um, I think the other piece, and so what I did after that was I, I joined a, as the president and chief strategy officer for a technology company. So I, but it was music infused. We made smart headphones. Okay. So I always have had that tie in to either events or music or technology and, or, and, and entrepreneurial ventures. It's sort of large that it was just a natural sort of evolution. You know, I had done that um, for me. I wanted to sort of come back home with my wife and, and start something new. When we were out there, John, you said, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, you guys should have your next event out here. And uh, you might have just said that to be nice. But as soon as it was over, Gordon and I got into a meeting and tried to think of the biggest possible event we can have out there. So we are, we're going to hold you up to that. <laughs> I hope you do. Uh, I think we could do some really good things. You know, you mentioned the music industry component. Sanford's got great, great artists. I mean, we have Taylor Phillips, a platinum selling artist, uh, songwriter. He's amazing and a close friend. You've got Britain who's now coming up on a, a concert here in Sanford and you know, uh, I just heard recently that Steve Brewer's son is in the music industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, small towns are deceiving because there's an enormous amount of talent in Sanford and it just is waiting to be discovered. I wanted to ask you about the potential for, you know, like a music scene. 
there's a story that I've wanted to write for a long time that I know of all these various major artists of like all different genres that have that have played here in the past. Uh, the New Kids on the Block have played here. Chubby Checker has played here. Um, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts played here. And, you know, at a time where the downtown is booming, we've got this music festival coming in September. Just having been in the music industry, what kind of prospects do you see for Sanford to be a place where not just bands come, but like you mentioned, bands develop here. Um, do you think that there's potential for that sort of thing? Or is this just, a, you know, a, another small town? No, I and I would tell you if I thought otherwise, but I, I believe that that talent is is just basically everywhere. I mean, what you saw with the advent of The Voice and American Idol is that you see how many amazing artists there are. I mean, and, and, and before, if you if you think about a time before social media, time before these, you know, contestant based music shows, you it was really difficult to, to find the talent. I mean, you typically found them in some random bar or or the bars that were known for, you know, hosting new talent. You know, so there was a scene, but it was to your point, it was really L.A., New York, Nashville. Right. Uh, nowadays, it can be anywhere due to the social media. And that's why when people ask me, I, I randomly you know, get asked questions about how, how do I get discovered? I mean, you've got to look at yourself as a brand first. It's like the rant. The rant is a brand. Uh, Sugarneck's a brand. And it, you don't have to be a global company to think like that. Because if you start like that, you'll start building your brand and taking care of your brand step by step. And that's how it will grow. So I tell artists, take care of your social media, you know, play every opportunity you can. You don't know if you'd be in a subway or on the street corner. You just never know who's going to walk by. Could be, you know, outside of an airport. I mean, so I think Sanford has, look, the with Taylor and Britain and these other folks here, we've got a core group of people that we could make the music scene and, and help identify the talent in Sanford and the surrounding area. To, to make something really special, I think. I always, you mentioned the rant as a brand and, um, you know, I've, I've played music and I have a lot of friends who played music and there are various things that we refer to as our band that actually did something. And I think of the rant as my band that actually, that, that actually did something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do, you guys have a, a, you know, a brand evokes emotion. And I think every time you, you sit down or, to write, you know, an article or do a podcast, you're evoking some kind of emotion from some people. And that, that to me is, is a brand. It's what we do. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like, I really look forward to the future of this, the Sanford music scene. And I, I would really love to be in a par, uh, partnership with you all in doing that. I think we could do some really great things. And, and I don't generally say that I know you were ki kidding, Billy, but you know, we would so love to have you down here. Like I wouldn't offer it if I thought, oh my God, those guys are going to call me next week. No, no, what am we, I going to uh, do? Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we had this, um, our timing couldn't have been better. We had this huge event planned for last April and uh, April 2020. And it was going to celebrate one year of our publication. And uh, it was going to be in a, in, a, in a small venue with hundreds of people. <laughs> so it was you know, a terrible idea for um, the pandemic and so we had to cancel but but we'd love to bring that back and now that you know things are starting to 
return to to somewhat normalcy. We're we're hoping to do that again, and uh, but you know better with a, an outdoor venue. So we're we're excited about the prospects, and and uh, yeah, we'll definitely reach out soon. Well, it, it, to your point and your question, Gordon, you know the reason why I think that the future is so bright for Sanford is because what people would look at as a small town is maybe potentially being a drawback. It's actually so much better for navigating and getting the partnerships in place that you need to execute on a big idea. Right. Like I was always taught that it's as much energy and work and time to, to do a small idea than it is a big idea. It's the exact same, same pressure, same focus. And so when we think of the Chamber of Commerce, we're going to be hosting an event here coming up in June, you know, working with Meg Moss, working with Morgan and Barber over there. Um, I think we can put the pieces of the puzzle together much easier in this setting than if you try to where there's a, a lot of different converging interests or noise that can potentially be in a large city. Right, right. It's It's kind of the idea of like, you know, there's ups and downs to big towns and small towns, but, you know, when I go get my car worked on, when I, you know, file my taxes and hire, a, you know, an accountant for that, whatever it might be, like, you know, these people and it's, you know, it's, it's it, like you said, it's easier to navigate. So, yeah. well, John, I know that you're a busy guy and you, as you mentioned, you've got a, a wedding to work today. So um, I'm going to let you go, but Real quick, if you just wanted to uh, kind of say where people can find out more about SugarNet. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. I, you can reach us at SugarNet.com. Um, we have an ability for you to send a message. Uh, we get back to people within a couple hours. So if you reach out to us, you could also always hit me personally at John at SugarNet.com. I'd be happy to help you. As you know, celebrities get married like twice a week. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Who would be like the most obscure celebrity? Um, I saw something like Ryan Reynolds got married. Phil Donahue. Phil Donahue. He's married to... Uh, Margo Thomas? Mar Marlo? 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 Marlo Thomas? I don't know. That's Danny Thomas's daughter, right? Marlo Stanfield. What, what are we talking about? <laughs> Cut all this out. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good interview. And, uh, um, and uh, yeah, interesting guy. Hope we have him on again sometime soon. So Gordon, I don't know if you got an email this week um, that you have. Uh, <laughs> that yes. You have. <laughs> was that you? So I was actually... <laughs> I was actually debating whether to bring this up or not. Because <laughs> I didn't know if it was a good natured troll or if it was somebody <laughs> trying to fill my email inbox with poison, but I got, uh, what was it was it? both. Was it Eventbrite? I got a, a notification from, you have registered for the, uh, yeah, America for, first rally <laughs> with Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor green. Um, you picked an event in Arizona, but I have two tickets. Um, yeah, you do. I'm willing to so, come uh, for cheap for anybody listening. 
I, I do follow the Lincoln Project uh, on Twitter, and they are encouraging people to register for this event if you have no intention of showing up. And I was just going to do it for myself, but then I didn't want my inbox to be hammered with Republican propaganda, so I put Gordon down. <laughs> I, uh, I wondered who that was, <laughs> but I thought that if it was somebody trying to, to mess with me in a, you know, in a, in a malicious way that the joke was on them because that's, that's two tickets. Yeah, no, it was or very, maybe, you know, it was very good natured and, 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 um, I did unclick the boxes that said, keep me informed and send me your <laughs> newsletter. I did not, I did not do, do that to you. <laughs> well, thank you, Billy. That was a mystery. I, I, I never suspected one of you guys. Um, yeah, it was uh it was it was a uh it was me panicking because I didn't I just didn't want to put my own email address down. Thanks, so, Billy. You're welcome. You're welcome. And if you do get hammered in your inbox with things, then I do apologize. Well, I, I've got my plane ticket to Arizona reserved. Um, and if I learn anything or you know have my heart and mind won over by these uh lunatics while I'm out there. So that's it's kind of what happened to uh I, it's kind of what happened to Trump during the pandemic when he had his first his first in-person rally. And I think it was in Minnesota. Oh yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. And this was not a this was not a public effort. This was more TikTok teens who did this, but a lot of people registered for that event. And so they they thought so many people were going to arrive that they ended up having an overflow stage outdoors. And they barely filled, you know, a quarter of the venue and had nobody outdoors. And it was this huge failure of an event. And you can credit all the, all the kiddos out there who, who registered with no intention of arriving. And, you know, now that the, Ain't that, now, now that the olds are trying to do it, it's not going to work, but still, I think it, I thought it was funny. That's the origin of Trump's hatred of TikTok, right? Because that's where that movement started. Yeah. And yeah. then, like the next week, he was like, "We're banning TikTok." Right. <laughs> that was a, such a that <laughs> you can't do in America. Don't you miss? Don't you miss having a vindictive president? <laughs> well, he's still in the news. It's yeah. like with the horse that he said was a junkie, <laughs> junkie awesome. horse. Yeah. But uh, that was a weird time in the news because, like, every headline about Trump's failed rally was. It credited TikTok teams and K-pop stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, the kids, the K-pop stands, whatever the hell that is. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> I'm just, Speak- I just recently learned what a stand was, but oh, I don't know what I don't I, know what a I, K-pop I, stand is. Well, K-pop is Korean pop, I guess music. But no, I yeah, I, but I don't get what it means to be a stand. Is that, that so? Uh, that is to me, that's like the stupidest Twitter word I imaginable because it, it's supposed to be a it's combination. from the Eminem song, right? Yeah. I thought, it, yeah, it's like stalker and fan, right? Right. No, it's it's from the Eminem fan song. But like when they say stan. I I stand him, that means that I I'm such a fan that I that I'm really more of a stalker. And you don't need to combine the words to make a new word because you've already got the word stalker. Right. I didn't. But but Eminem <laughs> had that song called Stan about like a guy. Twenty years who, ago. Yeah, I don't know why it 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 got popular now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So speaking of horses, I'm watching the <laughs> Kentucky Derby with my uh, stepson and daughter. And stepson is like 16, 15, 
So, you know, we're did like, did you wear your seersucker for it? <laughs> no, they, they did. They were like, this is stupid. Both of them. Yeah. And then Stop I was like, you what? know what? So I was, I was talking to Cameron. Shut up and it, drink your mint julep. Claire when, Dane. <laughs> when, it, when, when I started talking to him, I kind of revert back to being a teenager. And I'm like, you know what happens if like the, the horse gets hurt on the track? They like, they shoot him. <laughs> and I look over and my daughter's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that she was there. And he was like, whoa. And, <laughs> and, and my daughter watched. was like, oh no, what? <laughs> I think yeah. I blew it. I witnessed an interaction one time at the Java Express. This is years and years and years ago, where there was a, a local attorney, and he said something about how he didn't like Disney for their business practices. And this little girl was sitting there, and she goes, "You don't like Disney? Why?" And he was <laughs> like, "Well, they, uh, you know, their ethical procedures in the corporate structure, and blah blah." blah. And she went, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a good question, though. Yeah, yeah. Other news, the, the, the county will stop or has stopped. You know, it's ended the, the declaration of emergency regarding COVID. So we will no longer be getting, um, you know, weekly updates on, on new cases. But I think I'm going to continue to track it through the DHHS COVID tool. Um, yeah, we're, we're hovering in the 40s per week right now. Is that correct? Yeah, and... I, I looked on there and something else I'd like to continue or we'll start uh, including in those updates is the percent vaccinated. Um, yeah. And Lee County is like, I think it was like 28, 27% fully vaccinated. And it'll be good? interesting to see. I don't, I don't know if that's so good, but I, you know, I'm going to have to dig around and do some comparisons to stay. So I, similar but does that, does that figure include, the entire population or percentage of adults because it's a, yeah i don't know that's i'm gonna have to figure that out a skewed number if you're including kids who can't be vaccinated so um i saw yesterday i think it was uh first time since march 20th of last year that we had under 500 deaths nationwide in wow. one day yeah so the vaccine should be must be working right yeah yeah must be <laughs> Have you uh have you I got the third had the, have you had the moment where you were in a place where three weeks ago you would have had to have worn a mask and you did not wear a mask? Have you yeah. experienced that yet? Yeah, it's awkward, isn't it? I got my hair cut this morning and it was the first time in a long time that I got my hair cut on mask. Just breathe breathe in all that sweet hair air That's right. It's it smells like freedom. I thought I thought salons and barbershops and whatever, I thought they were still requiring masks, but I guess not. No. No. Hmm. Interesting. Where did I go? Oh, I uh, went to the DMV and we st- they were still requiring masks. So. Yeah, uh, Lowe's Food took down their must-wear-a-mask sign, and I had it in my hand, and I looked around, and about 80% of people were still with a mask, so I put mine on. I didn't want yeah, to be a weirdo. Yeah, I had the same experience at Food Line. You put it on? Yeah. Because yeah. everyone still had their mask on. Yeah. So, Which I'm, you know, hey, go for it. Like I said, I think that's the one big change that's going to come from all this is, is that there will still be people who choose to wear their mask and it won't be weird anymore. Yeah. 
I mean, it won't be weird for people who don't care what other people do, but it'll oh, be Oh, there'll be for... people that say, hey, sheep, what are you wearing your mask for, sheep? Yeah, you know you don't have to wear your mask anymore. Yeah, well, you know, you don't have to mind your own business, but you should. <laughs> you know, you could have worn your mask last year, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get COVID. <laughs> Sorry. Um. <laughs> uh. But hey, I think we all three escaped it without being, without getting it, didn't we? <laughs> you suspected you had it, right? Uh, yeah, I did. It was uh, before it hit, and uh, and I got deathly ill, and it was for three days, and then I got better, um, and then I had lingering, lingering chest and breathing things for about a month after that, but. Mm-hmm. It was never diagnosed, so you know I, I had no idea. You should have, have gotten no tested for the uh, for the anti the the, the antibodies. As I've been oh, saying. you know you can buy that test at Walmart now. Oh yeah. Well, but now that you've been vaccinated, don't you have the antibodies, and you'll just never know if. Excuse me, antibodies. Yeah. So and you if you go, but if you go back, if you go back to when I think I had it, you know how hard it was to get any of those tests. I had to sign up for a to give blood. And, um, and that was the only way for me to find out if I had it. And then um, the one day that I finally signed up for, they told me they were only accepting rare blood types that day. And so they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me come in. So I ended up never getting the, the antibody test. Interesting. Yeah. So John, do you ever get the antibody test? No, I had the real test though. The COVID test that sucked. Yeah. Did y'all have to do that at all? I did no. not. Oh my god, it was bad. They like stick a whatever, a swab into your brain pretty much. It was bad. Right. And they're like getting brain matter from your like the stem. Yeah, so I was sitting in my car and the lady was like, "Grab onto the steering wheel." And she was like really like bite down on this. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, "Do not move your hands." And then she jabbed that thing in my nose and I was like, "Ah!" I was like screaming like a baby. And I seriously, if I had hit, hit the accelerator, <laughs> like if I hadn't kept my hands on the uh, steering wheel, I would have ripped it out. Like just yeah. by instinct. Cause it was so bad. Like they are getting stuff from so far down in your brain that it's like identical to a, a reptile. Yeah. yeah and don't have felt- COVID, but you're a lizard. <laughs> those are the, those are the true heroes in all this for the people that had to, jab that up everybody's nose and, and yeah. get punched a few times and then the the poor woman that gave me my second vaccination shot she must have hit like a very active blood vessel because I squirted blood all over her when she did it oh my god <laughs> yeah and I apologized she said yeah <laughs> it <happens."> <laughs> I don't know so, if, I, if I squirted blood I, well, I didn't look I was yeah. thinking back on our earlier podcast about the uh, the myths surrounding the COVID because I saw this week. Did you know that Australia and China are like about to go to war with each other? I didn't. I've heard. Nobody knows this. I've heard they that they, that yeah, I, but everybody's only talking about Israel and Palestine right now. Yeah, so, so the Australian prime minister, remember we had that whole conversation about if COVID came from the lab and like, what was really plausible, like that it could possibly have been like an accident or something. Yeah. Like the Australian prime minister is like, it, it totally came from a lab now. So that's like a whole big 
line of questioning that's going on in the world that no one's talking about. Mm. What do you think? I don't know. Aren't we all kind of ready to move on and Let's stop just blaming on. people, right? I mean, right. stop blaming and just, yeah. you know. Did Donald Trump become the president of Australia? <laughs> no, remember uh, Trump got in a fight with this guy, the Australian prime minister? I don't remember that one, but there's there's so many things there's so many. to remember that it's easy for... You can cut all this, but I thought it was interesting. I don't know. There's a... <laughs> And just while we're while we're all feeling good about things now, there's a there's a disease that's killing people in India called black fungus. So cool. Yeah. Hey, we we have an, <laughs> we have like antibiotics for fungus though, right? Um I don't know. Turtle. That's my answer. So Billy, you're uh you and I talked the other week. You for the first time are going through my favorite show of all time, The Sopranos. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I just started season two, and it's a show that I've tried to start a few times in the past. And um, I think the first time it just didn't catch for whatever reason. I wasn't into it when it was running. Um, always heard about it. Everyone always told me how great it was. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was we had just finished whatever shows we're watching. And uh, um, so like right now I'm into Mare of Easttown, which comes out every week and uh, Handmaid's Tale, which is also weekly. And so I needed something in between. I said, I'll give the Sopranos a shot and almost gave up three episodes in just because it's, it's a very slow burn. But then midway through the first season, um, it really, it really caught hold with me. And then there was, uh, the penultimate episode of the first season. It's called Isabella mm-hmm. and it's, uh, where Tony Soprano falls in love with this, um, this, uh, young Italian woman next door. And, uh, and then there's a, there's a attempted hit on him and I won't give away everything that happened in that episode, but it just the way it wrapped up. And I said, you know what, this is, it's a really good show because I always thought it was just a, a mob series, but it's more or less about it's so Tony Soprano. It's Tony Soprano's mental state is what this show is about. And it's just really well done. So I, yeah, I'm into I, it. I got turned on to it through Gordon when we lived together and we watched the last episode together. Remember that? Yeah, that we, that was the time of the ham Sunday dinner. We'd do it. Every it week. Was. We would. <laughs> we came. That we'd last go season, back and watch The Sopranos. <laughs> we, yeah, well, we would like go, we would watch the first airing and then go have the ham Sunday dinner. We'd do it every week. And then we would come back and watch the second airing that, that yeah. final season. That was- so Alan Sepinwall, the famed TV critic for Rolling Stone, uh, just released some kind of three-episode TV show or documentary or something um, where he talks about The Sopranos and its legacy and interviews a lot of the people involved in making it and starring in it um i'm gonna wait until i'm done with the series before i watch it but yeah I'm there's a, big, a i'm a big sep and wall fan so i'd be interested in that there is a podcast called talking sopranos which is michael imperioli and steve sharippa and they go yeah. episode by episode you'll want to i mean i don't know if you'll be as big a fan as me billy but if if you enjoy it like i think you will you'll probably want to watch it again and and 
you know, having them go episode by episode and they have guests on, you know, other actors, production people, whatever. Um, it's a hell of a companion piece. Yeah, so I, and I sent I sent Gordon this week the rewatchables podcast on the good fella on Goodfellas. I need to listen. I to did. That. You you haven't listened yet? Not yet. I need to. It's on my list. But I didn't know that Michael Imperioli was in the in Goodfellas. I just forgot that. Yeah, he was you're, Spider. You're all right, Spider. No, I thought yeah. you said I thought you said I'm all right, Spider. <laughs> I wanted to learn about more about James Gandolfini, uh, the late James Gandolfini, and so I went to his Wikipedia page. I did not know. Um, he, he wasn't terribly well-known when he got the role, but, uh, I guess he was in a movie called the, uh, no, uh, uh, replacement, something like that. I don't know. He was, he had a small role in it and, uh, the people who were casting liked his small role in it. So I want to go back and watch that. Um, he was also in I, True Romance. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was True Romance where he had a small role in it yeah. and they just, they thought he was great, but, um, I did not know that uh, um, Stephen Van Zandt, who ends up playing, you know, he is in it. He's he's one of his his uh, goons in it, I guess. Um, I don't know his character's name yet, but he uh, he Sylvia was out. Dante. He was out for the for the part of mm-hmm. um, of Tony Soprano, and um, it's weird because I mean he's great in his role, but just to watch Gandolfini do it, there's a there's a scene in second season early on where um, he's listening to all his friends talk. And I think he's focusing on big pussy and just looking at him in the face. And there's a scene where Gandolfini just kind of, his face just goes dead and he just starts staring at him and everything goes in slow motion. And then he kind of snaps out of it. And it's just, you know, I can't imagine anybody doing that scene right. the, the way he did it. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's something, it's something just to watch him. Like, that's really what I get out of it. Anytime they go on other tangents in the show, I'm not as interested as, as I am anytime he's on the screen right now. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I doubt I will become as big a fan as you, Gordon. Um, uh, I you think will, you guys, you'll like it. Won't you, well, you guys, you guys introduced me to the wire as much as you guys talked about it when we worked at the Herald and, uh, um, and I've watched that three three times now. Mm-hmm. So um, I usually say my favorite show ever is which whichever of The Wire or The Sopranos that I've watched most recently. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So I've um, I've I've been working on Veep. Did y'all watch that? Yeah, no. I watched the first few seasons, and for some reason, I I fell off, and I don't know why because I liked it a lot. I need to go back it's and really start easy, over. It's, it's an easy hilarious. watch. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. I love yeah. the uh, the really tall guy who's like in one of her aides and he's like, yeah, Jonah, like death metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also, really funny though. I'm also going through earlier seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, which I'm a big fan of, but I don't think I've seen every single episode of it. And I just watched the episode with Robert Smigel where they're on a softball team and, uh, uh, yeah. and Larry David, does a Bill Buckner at the, at the, on the last play and the ball goes through his legs at first. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. It's so good.
got free passes to a Disney resort and we're going to use those and like go do all the outside of Disney stuff. Like, you know, the downtown Disney and that kind of shit, but, but we're not actually going to the parks. Well, you know, so, uh, you know, Disney's evil, right? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? 